Welcome, my dystopians. I'm Raul Guerrero, and you are listening to the Dystopian Republic. Today's story begins on the mid-morning of November 21st, 2008. The city limits of Agnes Beach were packed to the brim with markets advertising fresh clams and restaurants showing off every clam-based dish from chowder to linguine. At a beach below a rocky hillside, a family of seagulls congregated on the sand. That was when Bliss, Andrina, Marti, and Rocio scared them to the skies by charging at them. The girls high-fived and yelled at the seagulls to feck off and never come back. On the nail, Bliss stuck a large umbrella into the sand. Andrina and Marti laid down four beach towels and Rocio turned her radio to tell Neutral's station. Its switch to commercial break allowed for Andrina to get Bliss to take a picture of her with Marti and Rocio. The picture Bliss took was of her friends standing straight, radiating their smiles and holding hands. She looked at the photo to see if it was taken correctly, and right away, something about it struck her as a little too convincing. Bliss noticed that Marti and Rocio were pulling Andrina's hands toward them. Her nerves and veins sensed a bitter dislike between Marti and Rocio. When her friends approved her picture of them, Bliss dismissed what she sensed as her body playing tricks on her. Back from the break, the station welcomed listeners to the Juliana Jaramillo show, widening the girls' eyes wider than billiard balls. Her show's jingle and subsequent vivacious greeting still make them cringe no matter how many times they've heard it. Juliana opened by saying that today's show wasn't going to be a cheerful, lively spectacle like usual, adding that it'll focus on a very serious topic dear to her heart. She informed listeners that today was the 23rd anniversary of the liberation of Agnes Beach. It was a nudge that hit Bliss's friends like a ton of bricks, making them feel idiotic for letting their time together divert them from such a special day. In her studio in Delgadopolis, Juliana had Andrino Sr. and Edmundo Sr. sitting with her. The men thanked her for the privilege of having all three of them tell their story. Andrino wished that Yolanda was still alive, as she would have loved to be here. Edmundo asked him about Marti's parents, Michael and Juniper, nauseating him into grunting out an acid reflexed them not so much, citing obvious reasons as why. Their love fest hit Bliss's eardrums like long claws on a chalkboard, failed to amuse Andrina in any way, had Rocio soberly shaking her head and primed Marti's dander for an explosive blast upward. The beach's scenic seclusion, moody tides, and cooling winds merely dulled the needles running into the girls' barefooted sits. Juliana noted that she, her guests, as well as Yolanda, Michael, and Juniper all grew up in the Sajonian Islands. She described the chain as a bright, collective place where you took care of everyone and everyone took care of you. Juliana 
and the others she mentioned by name were the children of ex-people colonists who fled Brumelia during the 1958-1959 exodus when Alexis's grip on power was rolling down the drain. Their parents believed that the islands would be a far safer place for them to live life, and for 22 years, all Juliana and her clique had to worry about was staying friends, completing their education, and partying at all hours of the day. She had a heavy photo album that detailed the friendship in pictures and words. When the clique was young, their hangout spot was a trawler that rode the Grand Banks, using it for their adventures through their home's more remote islands. Its wonders were where Andrino, Michael, and Edmundo asked Yolanda, Juniper, and Juliana out, respectively, had their dates, got engaged, and had their weddings. Their lives were as lively as the colors that hued their time as a group. But when Gregorio assumed power, the fun, frolic, and felicity that defined their paradisal way of life crashed head-on into reality. There and then, they knew it was only a matter of time before he invaded their chain in an attempt to seize control of it. At the time, the islands were completely in the hands of its red wasp population, who had since become more moderate in their liberalism. Those same people joined much of the world in watching mass panic and chaos flood the lander roots traced back to. For people like Juliana and company, the images and sounds they saw and heard were indelible. In response to the coup, the Sajonian government conscripted every able-bodied adult into its military, readying them for immediate deployment should their sovereignty be threatened. Juliana joked about basic training being the first time she'd ever been yelled at. Edmundo told her not to criticize herself, as they, Andrino, and Yolanda had little trouble going through the process, but said that Michael and Juniper were a different story. Marti held her grunt in her throat, not liking where the show was going. Not surprised that her parents were hard to train, Andrino called them the bad kids of the clique, citing their numerous encounters with the police. Michael and Juniper's miscreant ways came to a head when they beat up two bartenders in a drunken rage. But fortunately for them, the conscription order came the next day, offering them a chance to join the military in exchange for having their misdemeanor charges dropped. Facing jail time and ruined futures, Michael and Juniper enlisted without hesitation, but for them, the training was a road where every mile had rocks blocking it. Andrino commented that their problems with taking orders got so bad that he contemplated throwing them under the bus on a few occasions. Edmundo thought that was to be expected, given that Marti's parents were responsible for most of the trouble their clique found. Andrino couldn't figure out how it was possible for Michael and Juniper to get through basic training, and in hindsight, he wished that the two had flunked out, going so far as to regret pushing them to enlist and say that they belonged behind bars, especially after the excreta they'd later do. Marti stomped her feet, slapped her palms, and crawled into the radio's face, 
grinding her teeth and panting at what Andrino was saying. He called it a darn shame that neither parent got the needle, wanting the pleasure to see them be put to sleep. Andrino also contemned Michael and Juniper for tainting Marti's thinking processes. His despite ired her into biting him back for having the nerve to think that he knew her to a T, even though he's almost never at home, much less spending time with his own daughters. Andrina timidly sucked in her lips and stared at her jade toenails, slumping into a scar she's never told Marti or Rocio about, as today was also its fourth birthday. Marti's ceaseless ranting about how much of a liar her father was soothed her pain, but vexed Rocio into telling her to put a sock to her crying. Andrina yelled Rocio's name when she called Marti the illicit love child of a cultish madman and pervy filmmaker. Bliss did the same to Marti for calling Rocio the product of a collegiate beast and psychotic clowns interbreeding. She and Andrina restrained the girls they called out, preventing a brawl that could have broken skin, bled copiously, and smashed bones. Marti's rapid panting and flushed stare reeked of death and raised gruesome thoughts at a loop. Rocio heaved laboriously and grinded her teeth with the same stench and sequence. For their friends' sakes, she stood down and so did Marti, prompting the latter to strip to a black bikini and say that she's gonna go catch some waves. When Andrina told her to be her guest, Bliss asked if she could join her at sea, stripping to her red, one-piece swimsuit. Marti answered that she'd be more than welcome to, coaxing them into sprinting for the waves and swimming them without difficulty. They swam a hundred yards from the shore and spotted a buoy as the waves reposed. Marti climbed onto its body how she would a ladder, rolled a full 360, and used its frame to steady her kneel. Bliss lunged for the float, expecting to scale it as easily, but bonked her sternum and slipped her right phalanges on its edge. She splashed into the water the way an ice skater would hit their tail after slipping. The surprise it took Bliss by had her panicking like she couldn't swim. Holding the frame, Marti lunged and grabbed her by the swimsuit and pulled her out of the water and onto the floor where they fought for their breaths back, looking up at the frame and closing it from the sun's rays and then at one another with a stirring fondness. Meanwhile, at the shore, Juliana apologized to her listeners for the tangent she and her guests went off on, promising to stay on topic from here on out. Moving on, she said that the worst every Sajodian feared came in the form of leaked intelligence detailing an operation to exterminate the island's red wasps, subjugate its remaining people, and repatriate the Bromelians who sought refuge there. That was the justification the Sajonian government needed to justify preemptively engaging Gregorio's forces in Agnes Beach. While they didn't have the manpower to rescue all of Bromelia, 
they had enough troops to liberate the beach town, preserve its freedom, and set up a gate for Bromelians abroad to come flooding through. The morning of November 21st, 1985, was cold, windy, overcast, and drizzling. The once quiet beach town was now a manufactory for the harvesting of clams. Everywhere one could look, there was a yellow crosser ready to beat or shoot any worker on impulse. The people laboring away had been gone, were dead, tired, and beat up by both the guards and elements, but kept going in fear of their first rest being their last. Lisandro's parents, Eligio and Lisandra, led the operation under the guidance of an avarice that sprayed its germ-laden fluid all over everything they touched. But on the day in question, their latest glutton for callousness would be one too many, summoning a humongous military ship that let out landing crafts that were also sizable. The buoy sitting still and its floor cool and damp, Bliss softly and tenderly asked Marti what she believed happened before, during, and after the battle. Her head drooped her heart into a state much like the one Bliss was in when they first met face to face, save for the frame she's holding on to. She felt so much sorrow for her that she was too hurt to speak, but instead let her uneasy abdomen do the talking. The water Marti was in wasn't as dejected as it was tearfully grateful, finally finding someone other than Andrina, Rocio, or the others in their clan who will listen wholeheartedly and without judgment. Those were two things that the general public and news media were unwilling to do, believing that her story was one big pity party. Marti's side of the story began when the clique reported for training 10 days after the conscription was declared. Michael and Juniper expected the instruction to be rough and love to be the toughest they've ever experienced. The first red flag they raised was in response to them and two cousins being singled out for their lengthy criminal histories. That gave Juniper a lot of pause while Michael shrugged it off as a way for the drill sergeants to form the most integrated platoons possible, but when the assigned subdivisions assembled, the eyes they and their comrades beheld had gravitational fields even the brightest of all sides could not escape. Before that day, Juliana spent her life partying and having fun, never crafting a thought about her country's security or the political situations abroad. This was also the case with the others in the clique, as their devil-may-care lives gave them little reason to worry. Edmundo described the training as being the best thing that ever happened to him. Andrino added that it made their senses nimble, turned their flesh to steel, perfected their aim, consolidated their discipline, and heightened their respect. Juliana agreed and said that the clique entered the training as kids and exited it as adults. Marti confided in bliss that the training was the slowest and most agonizing thing her parents ever went through. When asked to explain exactly what was done to Michael and Juniper, her mind reverted back to the last time she gazed at herself in the mirror. It happened after her shower and makeup, but before she got dressed for the beach. For Marti, 
staring at her reflection wasn't anything other girls wouldn't do, but that morning pained her psyche where its innocence was surgically removed and at the space it once occupied. It reminded her of the bottom left premolars she lost, cigar butt burn to her right cheek, hair fin scars all over her back, and damaged fingernails. The injuries Michael and Juniper sustained during their training were much of a muchness. Their platoon had to get down like dogs, dig up latrines deeper than their standing heights with their bare hands, and bury them likewise when they got full. The speeds they were forced to work at tore up and infected their hands from fingertip to waist. When their friends tried to help out, the sergeants put out their cigars on their faces and lashed bristles onto their backs, horrifying other recruits into staying in line. The youngest among them couldn't believe their ears or eyes, never having witnessed such cruelties in their lifetime inside the Sajonian bubble. It was such a shock for them as the leaders they knew never fathomed being cruel or even underhanded, but they had neither the time nor courage to figure out how such a departure could happen. Save for a moan and groan every now and again, the recruits trained their fingers to the bone marrow, sucking up whatever pains tried to slow them down. They saved their ill feeling for the yellow crossers they were preparing to battle, viewing what they've done as being worse than anything their sergeants could ever do. Upon the training's conclusion, Michael, Juniper, and all their comrades stared at their commanders like machines ready to annihilate at will. Those looks would be the same ones given to the yellow crossers they engaged when the doors of their crafts fell open. The platoons Marty's parents were in began the invasion, pushing a third of the way up the beach, using the mammoth tank barriers to shield them from the lines of fire. Andrino, Edmundo, and Yolanda's subdivisions followed right behind them, while Juliana's brought up the rear, unleashing an all-out assault their enemies did not foresee. Flustered by the surprise attack, Alejo ordered his troops to hit the invaders with every single bullet in their disposal. Lysandra stressed that it was more honorable to die loyal to the cross than to survive at odds with it, warning that deserters, cowards, and defectors will be dealt with viciously when caught. Under the influence of their historical hatred for red wasps, that warning pushed her forces to swarm into a massacre as the number of bullets spent went from sprinkles to piles. The death counts on both sides skyrocketed, dropping soldiers like flies. One soldier on the Sajonian side played soccer alongside Andrino when they were in high school, winning back-to-back -back national titles. Three bullets to each of his arms and one right through his heart spelled the end to a life that could have toured through Europe. A second fighter taught Yolanda how to surf from maintaining balance to performing flips, spending entire days with ocean waves. Even with both kneecaps shot to pieces, she kept her firing going until a sniper shot her between the eyes, killing her instantly. Five yards to her left, a third soldier fell to his death after being sprayed, but not before taking his killer with him. 
he was class president and head of the student council, a man whom Edmundo knew well, working for him as his vice president and treasurer. Ten yards back, a flurry of bullets from up above missed Juliana, but hit and killed a fourth fighter who was right beside her. They hosted a radio show where they played and fangirled over the hottest jazz artists, smiling, laughing, hugging, kissing, and dancing. Thirty yards ahead, Michael saw an enemy fighting man feel pleasure in killing a fifth Sajonian soldier with two shots through the larynx that flashed memories of every dragon fruit, kiwi, papaya, and mangosteen he and his comrade grew for a school farm. As the front barricade was falling through, Juniper saw an old nemesis gunned down a sixth fighter and rejoiced every second of it. Her comrade's death played in her brain every weekend they spent shooting targets, spearing fish, and camping for the night. While every death hit the click hard, those six were particularly painful to bear. That wasn't to say that the Yellow Crossers didn't feel anything for their fallen. For the vast majority of them, the memories they had with said dead were much the same. The click spun into a rage that had them join the third of the offensive that decided to chase the Yellow Crossers out of Agnes Beach and beyond its limits. A decision even Juliana and her guests would admit was a lapse of judgment on their part. When the barricade fell, so did the defense that relied on it to keep the beach town in Gregorio's hands, leaving behind their workers wounded and deceased. The clique were too engrossed in their pursuit to hug and kiss the people they just liberated but were certain that they wouldn't have to fear the Yellow Cross ever again. They chased, engaged, took cover, fell back, and returned fire on Gregorio's troops many times over, charging through hardwood forest over roads and into tall vegetation. The enshrouding plants allowed their enemies to evade their lines of fire, wanting nothing more to do with them that day. Before Juliana could talk, Further, a white signal cut into her show, surprising Andrina and Rocio like two girls jumping out of bed after a loud lightning strike. They slapped the radio off, fell to their sides, and relied on the other's face to get their minds away from the hog manure Juliana, Edmundo, and Andrino spewed out. Rocio noticed Marti sitting with Bliss in the buoy and staring off into the horizon. Finding that unusual, she asked Andrina if that was normal of her to do. Sitting up and seeing what Rocio was talking about, she responded that it was the first time she'd seen Marti do that. Her friend wondered if that stare had anything to do with yachts, the people who owned them, or companies that manufacture the flashy sailboats. Rocio felt Marti's nerves shake when Juliana brought up the trawler she and friends hung out at. Far from the first time, she'd seen her be unsettled whenever any type of boat made its way into a conversation. 
Still in all, she chose to keep her thoughts on that matter inside for the time being, especially after the fight that she almost got into. In chivalrous silence, Bliss watched Marty bitterly leer at a yacht floating in place meters past an old ocean fence that stopped at the half-mile mark. Far from where they were, four college girls in bikinis gyrated to a tease of an instrumental that was nocturnal, lasered pink lights, and smelled of alcohol and marijuana. Their dancing jogged Marty's memory of a home video her parents made of a party they held when she wore diapers and sucked on pacifiers. Dated June 21, 1991, Michael and Juniper sailed around a circular lake centered on the first quadrant of Dirt Pit Valley. A bird sang with a woodwind that got them imagining that they were at home again. Marty was in Michael's arms when Juniper joined their embosom, gleaming in English rose purer than spring water out of their moving self-portrait. The order her parents stared into each other was a potent joy she'll cherish evermore. Bliss looked toward the shore and blew out a holy mother of God at Alejio and Lisandra yelling for their friends. Shocked by their yells, Andrina and Rocio were unable to look back up at them right away. Even from atop the sandy stairs that shifted down to the beach, Alejio and Lisandra looked like boars foaming at the mouth. He asked the girls what the hell they were doing on his and his wife's beach. Andrina yelled that an a-hole like him should know that the beach they're on was public. Lysandra said that the beach belonged to her and her husband as of midnight that day, buying it for them and their three kids. The guards at the entrance didn't tell Andrina or Rocio anything of that sort, telling them that the beach was open for them to be in for as long as they pleased. Zapped by intense and irritating bolts, Elegio commented that he was so gonna fire and strike mud holes into those imbecilic stoners. Marty figured out who he and Lysandra were from a long ways away, developing the ill will of a predator who's found their prey. Bliss did the same two things, but in her case, they were soaked in crimson desires she could not resist. She and Marty jumped off the buoy and made an Olympic dash for the shore. Andrina and Rocio were in a down-staring deadlock with Alejo and Lisandra, feeling no inclination to back down. Rocio told the couple to make a move as Andrina saw Bliss and Marty close in on the beach. It was clear to Alejo that delinquents like them don't respond to simple orders, even though he gave them so many chances to walk away. Andrina flipped off the idea of following the orders of a couple who should be undergoing eternal punishment instead of roaming free in society. Rocio added that if it were up to her, she'd have Alejo and Lisandra executed by means of crucifixion. The couple snarled, aimed their tasers at her and Andrina, and gave them to the count of three to leave their beach. When they got to three, bullets crashed into their chests, dropping them onto the sand where their wounds bled. Bliss and Marty's return 
affected Andrina and Rocio the way heavy bags coming off their backs would have. The couple channeled their pain in an anger far more dire than their bullet holes. Marti stood over them and asked if their defamatory tales were happy to see her. Elegio said nothing, but Lisandra called her a rotten, nasty, perverted freak. Marti screamed that it was time for the couple to die. But before she could commit the deed, she and her friends heard people hiking from far away. Her friends wanting to leave, Bliss told them to go to the car and that she'll be with them in a minute. Marti told her to make it quick as she ran with Andrina and Rocio up the path and out of her view. Checking on the couple, Bliss's nerves discerned the frightfulness begging up their overflowing rages. She pinned the couple onto the sand by clamping her hands against their necks. The amount of power Bliss had over them got her high on her own gaiety. She unhanded the couple and transfixed them with a giggle that departed far from what she'd do next. Bliss shot them across the fronts of their foreheads, rendering them senseless with wounds they could die from. As blood soaked the couple's clothes in the sand nearby, she walked away all nonchalant as if their lives were of no meaning to her. At a parking lot towered from behind by a rocky hill formation, her friends sat and waited in their sports sedan, grateful that it was the only one parked. Their impatience grew as the time they spent waiting for bliss ticked into the 10-minute mark. Rocio was disturbed by the suspicion she saw in the guards who let them pass. Bliss sauntered to the top of the hillside and jolted to a halt like she had seen a ghost. Andrina asked herself what she was stopping for and saw cars lighting up at the booth, dismaying her, Marti, and Rocio like criminals seeing their arrested states in the flesh. The horn honks Marti got Andrina to push snapped Bliss out of her immobility. They screamed for her to run and not stand there, noticing the disapproving looks they're getting from the car's occupants. Bliss rushed down the steep slope, juggling her balance the whole way down. Once on the lot, she made an exhausting dash for the car, almost spinning to a fall as she jumped inside. Andrina put the pedal to the metal and backed into a rugged buggy, breaking its bumper off and slightly crunching in its broader front end. The driver in that car made her displeasure loud and clear, threatening to sue her for every penny she had. Andrina hurried out of the lot, exit lane, and down the main highway, easily outrunning the few who ran after her. Half a mile into the frantic drive, she and her friends heard shrieks and cries flurry from where they spent their unusually hot and humid Friday. Called out by Marti for taking her time, Bliss believed that the high she got from making the couple suffer was well worth the extra time. Andrina responded that those extra seconds allowed the Rayeds to get good visuals of their car and its license plate. When Bliss pointed out that her friends let her stay behind, Marti said that she specifically told her to be quick with her mischief, and by quick she meant seconds, not minutes. 
Asked by Rocio what she even did down there, Bliss innocently smiled and placed her hands behind her back, saying that she shot the couple again. Andrina called her a foolish little girl and betted that Alejo and Lisandro clearly saw every aspect of her being. Bliss responded that she was right to speculate in that way, uneasing Marti into asking her if she realized what she had done. Rocio said that the couple will identify them all when they recover, calling Bliss a half-wit for dooming the whole clan. Bliss assured her friends that they weren't doomed and asserted that she wasn't an idiot, explaining that the way she shot Alejo and Lisandra in their heads would ensure that they won't ever wake up, much less remember her. A basic calm diluted the acidic anxiety that drove Marti and Rocio up the wall. Andrina described Bliss's explanation as being good enough, irking them into asking her how she could side with a girl who nearly got them mobbed. She cited the people they've killed thus far as her reasons. Mia, Sophia, Nova, Lucia, Calista, Amelia, Elegio, Lisandra. Andrina said that if their clan could take all those lives away with no ill effects, they could kill anyone, anywhere, with indemnity. Coming to her way of thinking, Marti and Rocio exchanged nods, returning to the same page they were on when the sun first rose. When Bliss asked about the bully hunt, Andrina answered that it was still active and will continue tomorrow when Edmundo Jr.'s daughter, Ambrosine, gets baptized. Without warning, all four girls relapsed on their wretched grief over Bakar's demise. None of the Jaramillos or Orteros knew that he was no longer of this world. What hurt the girls even more was that they couldn't tell anyone where he was or what had happened to him, knowing what'll become of them if they did. That forced them to make the gut-wrenching decision to keep Picard's murder a secret, leaving him to remain missing but presumed dead for the rest of time. Three hours after dusk, Andrina checked on her price sip feed. Coming across the photo, Fern Sandrino took of herself Ricky Palma and Belgrave Gaudi. The three girls were having an exquisite dinner at Serpicho's and planned on attending the baptism. Andrina was eager to see them for the first time since graduating from middle school. She was all smiles, and so were Marti and Rocio, but their expressions weren't the wholesome ones in the photo. They were miles into a darkness that was wroth in its want to make Fern, Ricky, and Belgrave wail their cries. Bliss went to sleep on the restful cloud she awoke on just before she last spoke with Eldon Sr. and Trinity. Her slumber still light, she fought about seeing Edmundo Jr. and his fiancée, Flavia Carlos, again, a pair who, up until a few years ago, were to her what she was to her brother. Bliss was oblivious to how connected she still was to her old life and what had been going on back at the address she used to call home. A passable night's sleep was all that separated the girls from their holy day of fun, an occasion Karma herself couldn't wait for having them in her crosshairs. 
what remained to be told was how those just desserts would be dished out, and as fate would have it, that multi-course dessert would leave many hurt and scarred. And that was sand and water. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the story I just gave. Share this show with everyone you know. Make sure they share it with everyone they know. Check out my website at www.rss.com slash podcasts slash the dystopian republic. Send me your respectful questions and constructive feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com. And lastly, support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypal me slash Raul Guerrero Jr. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero and come again for another gripping, thoughtful, and sinister episode of The Dystopian Republic.